welcome back, welcome back. Thank you so much for listening. I am Ronika Jade, and welcome back again to Queen of the Movies podcast. Today, we are covering one of my favorites, if not my favorite movie of all time, The Silence of the Lambs. So, just like the last one, spoiler alert, if you have not seen it, and you want to know what happens before you listen, then I suggest you stop, go watch it, and then you can come back. Alright, but if you want to continue listening, go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. We're going to keep on moving. So, just to give you a little background about The Silence of the Lambs. It was made in 1991. It is based on the 1988 novel, The Silence of the Lambs, by Thomas Harris. I have not read it, but I plan on getting it at some point, and I'm definitely going to read it for sure. Um, so, just a little synopsis. Clary Starling, a young FBI recruit, must receive help of an incarcerated and manipulative criminal cannibal killer to help catch another serial killer a madman who skins his victims okay that is like the shortest description that I found uh but basically Clary Starling Jodie Foster's character is um sought out by Jack Crawford who is the head of the behavioral science unit with the FBI to go interview Hannibal Lecter Hannibal the Cannibal played by Sir Anthony Hopkins um so pretty much to just throw him off his game because they've had like other people that aren't recruits aren't still at Quantico uh training because she hasn't even got out of the academy yet. She's still in the academy. But it's to throw him off his game. Send in a woman. Someone that's not even in the field. Right? So that's pretty much what happens. To get him to try to help them catch Buffalo Bill. That is the killer that's been skinning women. And so she figures out why, you know. Because it's very cryptic. And it's a big mind game with Hannibal Lecter. Okay. Oh my goodness. Sir Anthony Hopkins. One of my favorite actors. For sure. One of my favorite um, parts. Actually one of my favorite lines in the movie. Is delivered by Sir Anthony Hopkins. And part of it. uh, Is improvised. So my favorite line, I quote it (laughs) a little too much actually. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava fava beans and a nice Kenyanti. (laughs) (laughs) That little like flash slurping slurping type of sound. Yeah, he made that up on the spot. And everybody loved it. Fun fact though... The director, he he loved it at first, but then it, he said it kind of got a little irritating, but he didn't actually say that to anybody else. 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of fun. The director's name, by the way, is Jonathan Dim. D-E-M-M-E. I don't know how to say that. I'll be struggling. But yeah, definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. So well done when it comes to dialogue, directing, cinematography, etc. It's so good. Oh my goodness. Um, also, in the first scene where Starling and Lecter are introduced and he mocked her southern accent, that was also improvised on the spot. So the reaction that you see Foster give, which is kind of like a little scared moment, the look on her face was completely genuine because she felt like she was like personally being attacked for having that southern accent. Later, she was thankful because it generated such a good, genuine response. And, man, it's so many points in that movie where, you know, it's improvised. The way things are done in that movie are so meticulous, especially, like, Anthony, Sir Anthony Hopkins had a lot of um, input in it on how he thought uh, Dr. Lecter would add. that movie that often and when he did it'd be like certain moments like so he trained himself to uh not blink and to only blink at certain times um and she's gone on record saying this during an interview she said that she never talked to Anthony Hopkins during while they were filming and they were only in like four scenes together in that movie she never talked to him she talked to him after they were done because she was terrified of him um also another good part the iconic dance that Buffalo Bill does in the camera (laughs) wasn't actually in the original script it's in the book and they were going to scrap it from the actual film. But Ted Levine, uh, the one that plays uh, Buffalo Bill, James Gum, one and the same. His real name is James Gum, but he was nicknamed Buffalo Bill. Uh, insisted that that scene be included because it was essential in defining the character. And I 100% agree. It, like, all you see is he him being talked about. And speculated on you know Dr. Lecter and uh, Clary Starling talk about him but you never really see it for yourself you never really see what is in his mind until that scene so I 100% agree that that dance being there and I can't wait to read the book like at all um my other favorite line is the name of the uh, episode. Hello, Clarice. <laughs> I say that a lot, too. I'm weird, I guess. I don't know. Uh, so, let me introduce you to the main characters. My favorite characters. Dr. Lecter is definitely my favorite character. Okay. He's a brilliant manipulative, cunning 
resourceful psychiatrist. He is a psychiatrist that went on for eight years. Or, no, he went on for years killing and eating people. He would even serve them to people when he had, like, a group dinner. He would serve them human flesh that he cooked. He had, like, a whole cookbook and everything. And in uh, Red Dragon, it shows... Uh, how he was like uh, what do you call it apprehended see I'm not really sure what timeline that's in is it before Silence of the Lambs or after I'm thinking it's after maybe I don't know but moving on yeah he's been in, uh, Dr. Lecter he's been in prison for 8 years in a maximum security isolation for being a serial killer obviously so the choice to have him behind glass pane, a glass pane, or whatever you want to call it, temperate I don't know what it is, was a choice by the director, Jonathan, because in the book, he is behind bars. But the director felt like it, you wouldn't grasp, it wouldn't be like intimidating, and he didn't like shooting with the bars in between it just didn't do anything for the movie and I definitely agree I think it was a great choice <clears throat> having him behind that glass is a little bit more menacing and a little bit more creepy um so big ups to the director there uh yeah he plays mind games he's very cryptic you never know like exactly what he is thinking and you have to be careful not taking what he says literally. Because underneath everything he says, there's a hidden meaning. There's something. There's an agenda. Even with helping Clarice, he wasn't really helping. He was helping, but wasn't helping. It was very small clues that only Clarice would have picked up on which she did because she ends up catching the killer at the end by accident really um but yeah he he's so analytical and purposeful when it comes to certain things that he says and does I mean he even escapes I don't know how long he's been planning it Probably since Clary's first walked into the walked in to see him. He's been planning that escape because there the escape that he did, he got moved to a different place and was put in just a box with bars around it, which wasn't as one, it's not as secure. It's pathetic really and it only had like two guards with him and then upstairs it was more guards which really didn't make no difference because you know they brought him his food he had a key in his mouth I don't remember how he got it I think he could I think he had it from when um he uh when he was first moved he had oh yeah it was a paper clip it was a paper clip he got the paper clip from a file 
or something like that. I forgot. I, I, I have to watch the movie again. I've seen it so many times. But he stole something without anybody realizing it. And uh, he was able to get out of his handcuffs and kill both of the guards. But see what he did, right? He took off one of the guards' face and switched uniforms. <laughs> and they thought they put him in an ambulance. Whereas Dr. Lecter was missing, right? They thought he was in the elevator shaft when it was just another guard that he killed. So yeah, he, he cut off the one of the guards' face, put it on his own, and then escaped that way. Craziness. Craziness. I don't know if that plan would have worked in real life, but uh, it worked there. So, and that was the uh, warden's fault for getting him moved. So the fact that he escaped was the warden's fault. And the warden's name was Dr. Frederick Chilton. He's really not that. He's really not really worth uh, talking about. I couldn't stand him. He was a creep. But he's a warden of the prison. He's like obsessed with Lecter. He's like, like when I'm in obsessed I mean, like the the uh, new the new psychiatrist in um, the new doctor in the Halloween the new Halloween series, the one that stabbed the sheriff because he was so obsessed with Michael, like that level. He just ain't kill nobody. That's the level Chilton is on when it comes to being obsessed. Okay, but he's also an opportunist. He wants to become like. A high-profile person he wants to be important he wants to be on everybody's mind because he is on his mind 24 7 and he gets his opportunity he gets his opportunity and he knows that Lecter could have given him that right so like when the FBI came he was just like always listening he planted a bug so he could hear it but he makes a deal with Senator Ruth Martin to get Lecter moved somewhere else for information on the senator's daughter because the senator's daughter was abducted by abducted by Buffalo Bill. She is the um, the sixth victim. She ain't dead yet though. She's not dead yet, but she is the sixth victim. Uh, seventh victim. He's killed six though. Um, so the senator is that high profile person that Chilton needed, that Chilton wanted so he could get that notoriety for himself, get rich and whatever. So he, he gets that. But he, he gets his in uh in the end. He they don't show it in this movie, it's uh I think it's in Hannibal. Where they show him all disfigured. Ugh. Ugh. That means it's just nasty, to be honest. Ugh. Ugh. Okay. Ugh. Okay. Moving on. Um. Now on to Cleary Starling. She is the lead protagonist. Uh. Trainee FBI agent. What most people don't know is that she's from West Virginia. She only tells. Not many people know that. She tries to like hide it which 
Lecter picks up on, you know, he, like, right away, he's like, you're not from wherever you say you're from. Where are you from? And, you know, there's this scene, which I'll talk about later. I'm not going to talk about it right now. But, yeah, she, the reason she doesn't want people to think she's from West Virginia is because there was, like, a stigma back then of people that's from West Virginia. People would think that she's slow or backwards or whatever you call it. But she is probably one of the most dedicated uh, trainees there at the Bureau in the movie, which is why Jack Crawford um, wanted her, because she's dedicated in advancing her career, in which she aspired to work under Jack Crawford in the BSU. So she got her chance, and she, initi- she uh, ends up working with the BSU in the um, in the second one. It's just Clary Starling is played by a different actress. Julianne Moore plays her in Hannibal. But yeah, she's she's very smart. She is able to um, figure out why she was the one that was asked. She was able to figure out uh, certain things that Lecter said. She was able to figure out that Lecter plays games and that she has to like be super analytical and try to think like him, which is hard because he is super smart and he loves to let people know it. You know, he thinks he's the smartest one in the room, which I think is also his downfall. He's super smart, but only a smart person would be able to catch on to what he was doing and you know not be taken advantage of by him like others have been um so yeah she she's her and uh Lecter are my two favorite characters and both of the actors that played them did a phenomenal job um Buffalo Bill onto the serial killer that this movie is about when it comes to antagonists, right? Because to me, Dr. Lecter is the main antagonist and then Buffalo Bill is the side character. Only because you don't really see, he's talked about more than he is shown. And it's more of like, okay, this movie's about finding him, but I have to talk to a serial killer to catch a serial killer. So it's more on the the journey of how to get to the ultimate goal, which was to catch Buffalo Bill, right? So, like I said, Buffalo Bill skins women, but he only skins women that are slightly overweight, especially around the hips. Like, so when he kidnaps... Um, Catherine which is the senator's daughter he you know he he puts on the whole Ted Bundy play Oh, you know he's trying to put something in but it seems like he has a broken arm so she tries to help him right and then he hits her and knocks her unconscious well he asks her you hear him ask what are you like a size 16 she's like what and then he hits her so size matters to him so he's only abducting women that are bigger right and then you also learn that 
the women that he kills, he like he starves them. Because you also see it um, when he has her in a hole. He has her in a hole and he's like saying, put it puts on the lotion. She's like, I'm not an it, I'm a person. Like, no. So he doesn't even see these people as human. He doesn't see these women as human. Okay. He sees them as like animals, right? Because he is making a suit of skin. So what he does, he gets the bigger women, he starves them, has them lose weight, so the skin becomes looser. That way he can skin them and do what he wants to do. Right? So with him, he's he's a little uh, confused about what he is and who he is as a person. But ultimately, he's a cross-dresser. Right? So he's not a um, he's not transgender, he's not a transvestite or anything like that. He is a cross-dresser, which Dr. Lecter talks about. So you have to watch the movie, okay, to know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> As I said, the performances in this movie were fantastic. Um, Sir Anthony Hopkins, his preparation for the role really shows how dedicated he was to portraying this person. And making sure that everything he did and everything he said and how he said it made sense and was would try to make you be like, oh, you know, feel uncomfortable, right? So during his preparation, he studied files on serial killers. He visited prisons and studied convicted murderers. He was present during some court hearings concerning gruesome murderers and serial killers. It was it was his idea for Lecter to wear the white jumpsuit, which if you notice, like, you know, usually prisoners have like orange or something, which is what the director wanted him to wear. But he felt like him wearing white would make it feel like he was more cl clinical and it would be a little bit more unsettling, which, inspi which was inspired by his fear of dentists because they wear, you know, like the white coats and whatever. So that was his idea to wear white because he was just going to be in an orange or yellow jumpsuit, which when you think about it, it's not really, it's not really that, uh, like scary. It's not that unsettling. You always see someone wearing an uh, orange jumpsuit, Expect well, during that time, at least. You know, there was all, it was always an intention with what was going on. Um, I could go into so many things, but this, <laughs> this episode would never end, I swear. <laughs> um, Jodie Foster, oh my goodness, she did an amazing job. She made you connect with the character. You know, she made you empathize with her. You made, she made you feel, right? And especially during this one scene where her and Lecter are talking about where she's from because Lecter is like I'm not telling you anything until you tell me about yourself he's like no you tell me something about you and then I'll give you information and that's how it's gonna be so she was like fine whatever I can do to speed this process up so he would ask her a question and she have to answer it truthfully and he's like, I know if you're going to lie, I, I can see right through you. So 
there's a scene where she's talking to him about her growing up in Montana because she is from West Virginia but her parents died and she went to live with an uncle I believe it was in Montana on a farm and she was saying how she could always hear like the lamb screaming because her her, I mean, her uncle would you know like kill the lambs or whatever or the sheep or and um well they were lambs because it's called silence of the lambs that's that this scene that i'm talking about is where the name of the movie came from this is all about her right so you know she just she could hear the lamb screaming from being slaughtered and she just wanted it to stop she wanted it to stop and that scene is so tense you can feel the tension you can feel the build-up and it was so amazingly written it was directed phenomenally and other than that one line that I mentioned earlier about the fava beans and the nice kenyanti that is my favorite scene of the movie it is the best scene of the movie and I stand by it hands down best dialogue best directing oh my god chef's kiss Mwah. okay um so when it comes to Foster's character Starling the way she prepared for what well, she would spend a lot of time with the with an FBI agent named Mary Ann Cross, K R A U S. I think it's Cross. I don't know. Um, and uh, Cross is the one that gave Foster the idea to cry standing at her car, mostly because it's like you're human, you know. And sometimes that type of work can be so overwhelming and that was just the only way or the only time you could just release once you're done and you're just like huh and it just comes out sometimes that just happens man because you're on go all the time and once you get that second that one second to breathe and actually um like think and sit with what you just went through that that's that's it you know that's all you can have that's that one moment to yourself where you can breathe and think and release and I thought that was that small little detail is just what makes these actors so good at what they do the preparation that goes into it and just thinking like what they mentally go through to prepare for these roles like I just hope they be seeking therapy afterwards um also fun fact right watching the movie I'm gonna have to watch it again because of this that I looked up right there are times when characters are talking to Starling and they're often looking or talking directly to the camera. And when she is talking to them, 
She's always looking slightly off camera. And the director, Jonathan, explained that this was done so the audience would directly experience her point of view and not anybody else's. Hence, encouraging the audience to more readily identify with her. So that's why you could... The, the detail, man, the detail that this that Jonathan went to to make this movie amazing. Just just that little detail, something that you probably wouldn't notice your first time watching. Or tenth time watching or hundredth time. I don't know. Right? Everything's done with an intention. And that's what I like. Alright. Um, so let's talk about who inspired these characters. Mainly I'm talking about the serial killers, right? So Hannibal Lecter was said to have been inspired by the real-life Mexican serial killer Alfredo Bali Trevino. Okay? He was also known as Wolfman of Nuevo Leon. And he was a former physician. He was a surgeon from Monterrey. He was sentenced to death for murdering his lover, Jesus Castillo Rangel, and mutilating his body. He also was suspected of killing several hitchhikers in the late 1950s and early 1960s. I don't know. Because, you know, Lecter ate his... Maybe he was loosely based on him because he was uh, a physician, a doctor. And so was Lecter. He was just a different type of doctor. But it was a very loose, a very loose inspiration. I mean, if, it, if, if you're thinking about cannibalism and killing people, I think he was... Morally loosely based on Jeffrey Dahmer, even though Jeffrey Dahmer was catered. He was morally um, in minorities and younger men, even though, you know, it was on, I think most of his, uh, most of his victims were um, over 18, but he did have a few that were under 18, right? Um, And also loosely based off of Arthur Shawcross. Not a lot of people know who that is. He was a serial killer that uh, he killed. He killed two people, and then he went to prison. And then he was let out, and then he continued. And then once he was let out, he killed ten prostitutes. And then it was suspected and alleged that he ate their vulva. Is that how you say it? He ate their vagina. Okay. Like the lips or whatever, I guess. I don't know. Suspected. Not confirmed. Learned about him when I was in forensic psychology at A&T. Aggie Pride. Um, Buffalo Bill was said to be inspired by Gary Hedrick. Hedrick was a serial killer in 1986 that would lure and kidnap prostitutes and mentally challenge women for sex in a torture chamber that he built. Now, reading about Hedrick, I don't think that Buffalo Bill was inspired by him at all. Because Buffalo Bill did not uh, target prostitutes. He did not target target mentally challenged women at all. He didn't have sex with his victims in the movie either. Right? So, to me, Bill is definitely more like Ed Gein, who 
was at first a grave robber then he escalated to killing he only killed two women um uh yeah he only killed two women but he did like i said he was a grave robber he also worked as a uh on at a grave site i think he was a grave digger don't quote me um but he skinned them and he also he also had them hanging up in his garage crazy like he made nipple belts skull bowls he made a skin suit buffalo bill right there he made a lampshade out of a face lips um as was used as blind cords so he would like cut off the lips and then use them as blind cords and he upholstered a chair with skin and so so much more in that house like i think he had curtains made of skin it was crazy but morally that skin suit is what connects him to buffalo bill and just skinning people in general right yeah ed Gein was also uh inspired to create a texas chainsaw massacre by the way but yeah those are some of the inspirations uh like i said i'm only going over off of serial killers so um since there was only two that's only there's only the two i could do um so how this movie did right after it came out overall it received 69 wins and 51 nominations when it comes to awards it was nominated for seven oscars and it won five of the seven which included best picture best actor in a leading role sir anthony hopkins best actress in a leading role jodie foster best director jonathan jonathan dim and best writing screenplay based on material previously produced or published I mean, to say that the movie was successful to me is an understatement. <laughs> um, it was the first psychological thriller since the film Rebecca from the nineteen four from nineteen forty to win an Academy Award for Best Picture. And since then, nineteen ninety one, the only I think the only other like thriller to have won at the Oscars, don't quote me though, is Jordan Peele for Best Original Screenplay. Okay. Uh, fun fact, Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins' performance when it comes to screen time is the second shortest to win an Academy Award, an Academy Award at 24 minutes and 52 seconds. Blows your mind to know that he was barely in that movie. That movie, I think the movie's like an hour and a half. He was only in 24 minutes of it. And when it comes to percentage of runtime, Sir Anthony Hopkins is the shortest. He only appears in 21% of the movie. Also, something else nice to know. The actual FBI, BSU, assisted in the making of this film. Again amazing 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 attention to detail all the nuances everything again like i said one of my favorite movies 
of all time. Like I said, if you haven't seen it, please check it out, okay? And with that, thank you for listening, and I'll catch you the next time. This is Queen of the Movies Podcast.